Lifeway Leadership Podcast Network. This is the Unseen Leadership Podcast, where we explore the unseen stories that shaped leaders into who they are today. All of us want to be great at what we're doing. Nobody's like just okay with being mediocre. And I started to realize that the more that I listened to feedback and opened up for feedback and then adjusted things in my life because people I respected had the courage to give me that feedback, then I began to grow and I became more you know, effective in helping people. Well, welcome to the Unseen Leadership Podcast. I'm your host, Chandler Vinoy, here as always with my co-host, Mike Kelsey. Mike, how's it going, man? It's been good, man. Uh, I'm excited today. Uh, we get to talk to somebody that I've really admired and learned a lot from from afar. Uh, we got Aaron Ivey on the podcast today. He's the pastor of worship at the Austin Stone in Austin, Texas. And y'all can't really see him right now, but it, it looks like Texas. He has some animal <laughs> skull in his background. But uh, Austin Stone is right in the heart of the city. And uh, he's a songwriter, um, just a shepherd, an artist, an author, an elder, father, husband, mentor, a whole bunch of hats that he wears and, and really has a deep love for his family and community. And that's why we wanted him on today. So Aaron, thanks for being on, bro. Yeah, man. Thank you. Thanks for all the kind words too. And yeah, every, every space in our like home and office is totally Texas. Like if you're a Texan, I don't know, you just can't escape it. You got to have like dead animals hanging on the wall and rugs made out of fur. I don't know, but it's Texas, man. Well, I'm I'm in DC, so we got like skinny jeans on our wall. Yeah. <laughs> well, you guys can't see it right now, but Mike's also wearing a phenomenal Hawaiian shirt, so he is yeah. all in on the summer summer vibe. So that it's great. That shirt is strong, man. What's on that? What's the- you know, honestly, I don't even know, bro. I have no idea. Um, yeah, it so looks great. Cool. It looks great, though. Yeah, it does. Well, Aaron, on your on your bio, I know you you know there was a, long, a great bio that Mike just read, but you also say to sum it up pretty nicely, uh, Aaron loves Jesus, loves Tex-Mex, and loves people. Yeah. Uh, and whenever I go to Austin, there are just so many places to grab some good Tex-Mex. But I want to get it straight from the source. Somebody who uh, loves Austin, where is your go-to spot to grab some Tex-Mex? Man, I feel bad about the order. Was it Jesus, Tex-Mex, and then people? <laughs> hey, I think I think Tex-Mex was in the middle, man. Okay. That's all I'm saying. Okay. <laughs> oh, there's so many. I think our favorite place uh, is called El Alma, and it's uh, mm. right right on uh, Town Lake downtown. Beautiful deck that kind of overlooks it, and it's just the best food. But I'm telling you, I could list off 20 places here in Austin that yeah. have amazing Tex-Mex. There's a great food culture here. Yeah, I'm glad I live here. <laughs> That's awesome. I I love some torchies, and I want to bring I want to like franchise torchies up to Nashville. It's there not happened go. yet, but we need to make it happen. Somebody needs to, man. Yep, for sure. Well, Aaron, we are excited to have you on. We actually had your wife Jamie on on one of the first I think it was like first five episodes, and ever since oh, we've nice. been talking that we wanted to get you on and get uh, your story as well. So thankful for for both of you and your family and all that you guys are doing down in Austin and just even throughout for all churches. So you, uh, excited to hear a little bit more about your story. So let's go ahead and hop in here. Uh, can you walk us through a quick overview of the different leadership roles that you've been in over the years that led you to where you are today? 
Sure. I didn't meet Jesus until my freshman year of college, and uh, I never, ever would have used the word leader to describe me. Um, I actually had a lot of people in my life um, early on that said, you're not a leader. You won't be a leader. Uh, So I had a lot of negative kind of voices coming uh, at me. Um, And, you know, I was super uh, insecure and, and introverted. And just didn't think that leadership would ever be something that would define Aaron Ivy. But when I met Jesus in college, um, I fell in love with him, like head over heels, man. He changed my whole life. And I just really wanted other people to find what I had found in Jesus. It was so life-changing um, that I, I kind of stumbled into leadership. I just became passionate about Jesus and wanted people to meet him. And so I found myself even in college, uh, you know, leading some Bible studies, leading uh, worship for uh, a gathering on, on campus there. And then that transitioned into a, a band. I was in a full, in a band, like full-time, like touring band, lived in Nashville. And so I was leading a band, you know, of, of people that were all on salary. And that became kind of my first space of, of being a leader that was like shepherding people and ultimately responsible for even their well-being. And then we moved to Austin, Texas uh, in 2008. And the role that I had at the Austin Stone when I got here is very different than it is now. I was one of the worship leaders. Um, there were three of us and there wasn't really a worship ministry yet. It was a fairly new church. And so I, um, you know, took on some more roles of pouring into volunteers, developing um, some people, uh, pouring into uh, a person as an intern. And I just fell in love, man, with helping develop people and see people go from good to great. And I I just discovered that God had given me uh, a real passion for it. And then I think a gift in helping people become who God wants them to be. So that role has evolved. I've been here at the Austin Stone for 15 years, and now uh, I have the privilege of uh, of really leading our entire creative team, which is made up of music, um, albums, storytellers, design, communication, and production. So it's this really fantastic team of the most creative and passionate people that I've ever known. Uh, and I, I just have the privilege of walking alongside them and casting vision and, and um, and leading in that, that way. So it's definitely evolved throughout the years. Uh, and I've seen God just um, really give me a, a deeper love for wanting to, to, to lead and to serve um, creative people inside the church and outside the church. Hmm. You know, even as you're talking there, I know a lot of people who can, can look at, you know, all the, the Austin stone worship has done and what Aaron Ivy, you know, all the songs that you've written and even the, the books that you've written as well. And it's easy to say, man, I want to be where Aaron's at. You know, and you just said, I've been at Austin Stone for 15 years. You know, when I started the role that it's it's evolved over the years. Right. So when you, you know, you stepped in and you said you moved down there in what year? 2008. 2008. So, I mean, at that point, the Austin Stone was, I mean, you guys were kind of just planting, getting off the ground. That's right. I'm sure a lot of what your role was was a lot, I mean, like you even said, it's evolved, but I mean, church planning versus somewhat of an established church, you guys are still growing in that. Right. But I mean, there's a lot of different things that you were doing. So what did those years where you were just one of the worship pastors, where you were um, learning along the way, you know, what were some of the big things that you learned along the way that kind of helped prepare you as as your, your role has expanded, mm-hmm. uh, your influence, not just at the stone, but even across different, the worship scene in the church? What did, what did those initial years teach you about leadership and prepare you for that? 
Yeah. When I moved here, we had one congregation and we had two services meeting downtown Austin. Um, and so now we have six congregations, um, with multiple services and, um, uh, a massive change in terms of what for sure yeah. church looks like and even uh, what kind of leader I need to be and people deserve to have as a, as a pastor of worship. And so I think early on, I, I did have some people um, speak into my life because I still at that time didn't view myself as a leader, but some trusted people around me kind of saw those giftings and saw who I could become. They saw the best parts of me and they just spoke that into me. I remember a conversation I had early on um, where a pastor came to me and this is before I'm a pastor. I'm not an elder. I'm not leading any like humans. Right. Uh, (laughs) um, But he came to me and he said, you are uniquely wired to be a shepherd of people. And you need Mm -hmm. to own that space. So you need to get rid of insecurities that would keep you from that. You need to stop looking around for who can be the shepherd. God picked you to be a shepherd of people. And you might not know how to do that yet. I'll help you. You might not know what that looks like yet, but there's a unique wiring in you to shepherd people. I think that was a pivotal moment for someone to speak that over me. And I think another pivotal moment was realizing that being a leader and a shepherd of people, um, is actually, um, it's actually a gift. So many times we look at leadership as a burden. Um, you know, it's a beat down to lead a church or it's a beat down to lead people or it's, ah, it's so much work. It takes so much energy, but there was really a flip for me to see it as a gift that God entrusts people with. Um, and I wanted to steward that really well. And so that kind of drove me to wanting to be developed as a leader, to wanting to have older mentors in my life that could speak um, the real hard truths and could say, hey, don't do that anymore. You think that that's leading. Don't do that. Do this. Here's what you're doing really great. Having mentors all throughout my um, life of following Jesus, which I still do, uh, has been really pivotal and owning that space of man, I don't feel like I have all of my life together and know what I'm doing all the time, but God picked me to shepherd these people. And so I just want to own that space and trust him and keep growing. Mm-hmm. Man, I, I'm thinking about uh, the, earlier in your story when you said there are people who said to you, you know, you're not a leader, you, you, you'll never be a leader. The other bookend of that is that same type of honesty in a constructive life-giving way where you had that pastor say to you, man, you are wired to be a shepherd. One of the things from a distance, because I know uh, folks who have been at Austin Stone um, on staff in in the internship, the worship program Mm -hmm. you guys have there. It seems like as a part of y'all's culture, that kind of transparency and honesty uh, mm-hmm. Because I know people who've been the recipient of that, where y'all have said some hard things to them in love, like, hey, you got to grow in this area, not yeah. just from a worship leadership standpoint, but also like personal stuff. You know what I mean? Right. I got friends who, right. where one one guy told me uh, one of your leaders just looked and said, hey, it doesn't seem like everything is going OK with you and your wife. What's mm-hmm. going on? You know what I mean? And yeah. so yeah. I love that part of the culture there at the stone, man. And, and I'm sure you've had some pivotal moments in just in your growth in, in leadership, uh, leading up to your role there at the stone. But since you've been there, yeah, man, what, what would be a pivotal moment for you that if you would say, Hey, this was one of those major milestone moments that kind of set my trajectory in my leadership. Uh, what would be one of those moments, man? 
Yeah, we do have what we call a culture of feedback. Um, we want our, our people, our leaders to crave feedback, not to avoid it, not to um, think that it's always just this negative sort of thing, but mm. to crave it, to crave feedback. And I, you know, in growing up and even those first years of being in a band that traveled, I never got feedback. All, all I heard was, you know, applause of, oh, you're doing so great. Good job, buddy. Keep going. And I think there's something good about edifying and encouraging people in what they're doing. But I had some people speak really critical feedback that I needed to hear that I'd never heard before, you know? Um, and, and one of them was, man, you are by nature an introvert. Uh, you would rather be standing in the corner of the room. You go to a <laughs> gathering and you're finding, you know, the the space near the door. And, um, and if you're going to be a leader, listen, you have to throw away your desire to feed that introvertedness and you've mm. got to be around people. Um, there's a priestly nature that comes with being a pastor and a leader and a shepherd of people. So reject that just like you would reject any other thing that would limit your ability to minister to people mm. and own like being engaged with people. That feedback nobody had ever given me. And wow. it really launched in me a desire because all of us want to be great at what we're doing. Nobody's like just okay with being mediocre. And I started to realize that the more that I listened to feedback and opened up for feedback and then adjusted things in my life because people I respected had the courage to give me that feedback, then I began to grow and I became more you know, effective in helping people. And um, it's easier to listen and to follow somebody who's not the weird introvert in the corner. Now I still have, <laughs> I still have times in my life where I just got to get away and I got to sit in a, in a room by myself for an hour, but there's a time and a space for that, mm. that feedback. And a couple other things I could think of um, was so encouraging to me. I did not feel unloved by that criticism. I felt loved, man. You're the first person that believes in me enough that you'd want to sharpen me. And yeah. so it is a part of our culture. We have a regular culture of feedback. You know, I'm discipling, um, my resident right now. Uh, he's been my resident for a year and a half and he leads worship at one of our congregations with me. And every single week we have a meeting where it's just feedback. And I try to start with three really positive things. I've seen growth in this area. You crushed this. You are uniquely wired in this thing. Keep going. And then three um, areas of feedback of because I love you so much and because I believe so much in you, you need to work on these three things and real practical. Sometimes we'll watch game film. Like we'll, we'll watch the, the video of his leadership on Sunday. And I'll be able to say, when you do that, you lose people. You know, mm -hmm. if you would do change this one little thing and it'll be one little small step in becoming a, a more um, effective minister of the gospel, that culture of feedback has become normalized and I'm better because it, uh, because of it. And I think the people that are a part of our ministry um, are ultimately better because we care enough to speak the good things and the challenging things. Mm -hmm. So with one thing I find in Christian circles is a lot of Christian organizations and churches that I've observed or been a part of struggle with a culture of feedback. Um, sometimes it can be highly critical, but most times I find 
I don't know if it's because of the Christian thing and we all want to be loving and all that kind of stuff. If we yeah. struggle to give that yeah. kind of critical feedback, which hinders people from actually growing. And because we, we do give the feedback, we just give it to everybody except somebody else. <laughs> oh, that's exactly right. so true. So what advice would you give, man, younger leaders who are like, I'm in an environment I want to grow, but yeah. nobody's actually giving me that feedback. What advice would you give them to, to get that feedback or, or try mm. to encourage that? Yeah. And yeah. How, how would you help that? Person? Yeah. I think a culture of feedback, if it's going to work, it starts with the leaders wanting feedback from the people that they're leading. And so it really started, I don't know, 10, 12 years ago, where a couple times a year, I would send out a survey, you know, of, hey, I want to grow. I, I want to be a good steward of this, this role, this position, this relationship that I have in your life. And I would ask three questions. I would say, number one, what's the biggest area that you want to see me grow as your leader? Two, how have I recently failed you? And three, what are you dreaming about that I can help you accomplish? And just those three kind of simple questions helped me communicate to them. Feedback is not just about you being on the receiving end because you're younger or less experienced. We all should be growing and we all need feedback. So before I even gave feedback to them, I started with just sending out some of those surveys of going, I need feedback as your leader. And then that kind of morphed into, um, you know, sharing those sort of things. Here's how I'm growing. Here's some of my goals. Here's how I want to evolve and change. Help me. And, and then doing the same thing for them of going um, and ask, ask your people, ask your leaders. And so we have a couple times a year we do that. We have that same exact rhythm. Uh, of uh, somebody that I'm leading, having the opportunity to speak into my life, how they, how they want to see me grow as their pastor. And then me speaking into their life on a weekly basis and on a yearly basis of this is what you, God has done this in you. And it is extraordinary. Here's what I think he wants to do in you this next year. Let's do it together. You know? Um, and I think when you give that kind of, when you, when you take the first step as a leader, you're saying, I have to grow too. We're all in this together. Mm -hmm. I'm growing. Mm -hmm. I want to help grow you. That's been helpful. Man, even as you say those questions, I'm like, ooh, wow. those are, those are to, to put the yeah. question out there. How have I failed you? Yeah, <laughs> how can I grow? That's the second question. I was, <laughs> I was taking notes until you- I was not on the first one. And the second one, I was yeah. like, ah, I don't know about that one. The second one is a stinger. And yeah. I've found that when you open up the space for somebody to speak that, they're going to speak it. And oftentimes it's really hard to read. You know, because it could be personalized. It could be, man, you didn't show up at this thing that I really counted on you to show up. Or it could be, you know, you failed me by um, something much, much bigger. But every single one of those, I consider an absolute gift that they would give me, that they would trust me with that, that mm -hmm. they would not have a fear of losing their job or their position um, in leadership or that I would get defensive and insecure but um, it's it's always affirmed, like, you can speak that into me and I will listen. You might be wrong. And if you are, I'll explain or we'll talk through it. But I'm always going to listen. I'm going to have defenses down, walls down. That's I appreciate so much uh, the humility that it takes to ask those questions. And even as you're, you're saying culture of feedback and those questions, and then just as you said, there's a there's a level of trust there. It also is building a culture of humility and trust behind it as well. Uh, which is, which is super helpful to hear. And, and it allows for that feedback to be true. Like you said, and to be listening. 
Yeah. Well, speaking of speaking of humility, uh, mistakes oftentimes breed humility. Uh, and in the midst of that, we grow. What was uh, your biggest mistake as a leader getting started? I think all kinds of, um, you know, the culture and the ethos of what a, a, a team is or an organization or, um, you know, a worship team, creative team or whatever. It all starts with vision. It's here's where we're going to go. Here's who we're going to become. And then also here's where we're not going to go. Here's where, mm. what, what we're not going to become as a people. And I think my biggest mistake early on is not realizing that the, the setting the vision is on the leader, right? You get feedback and influence from other people on your team. But at the end of the day, the leader kind of sets the vision for where we're going to go and who we're going to be. You know, um, scripture says in Proverbs that without vision, the people cast off restraint. You know, if there's not clarity for these are the boundaries and here's what we're aiming for, then people cast off restraint. And if you think about, you know, anger without restraint is destructive, you know, marriage without restraint um, is, uh, is terrible, you know, um, spending money without restraint is, is frivolous. And so the same thing with like, with vision, if you have a team of people you're leading, but you don't set a clear vision, the people cast off restraint and they kind of go everywhere and there's not unity and an alignment. And so I wish if I could go back, I would have learned that early on mm-hmm. and set vision as much as I could as a 29 year old, you know, <laughs> at the Austin stone, but here's where I think God wants us to go. And here, here are the kind of people I think God wants us to be. I'm going to go there. Will you go there with me? Let's go. Right. I think that was a big mistake. And I, I saw people, um, frustrated because they didn't know what we were doing. Uh, I saw people leave because there wasn't a family aspect of we're locking arms and we're heading here. Um, and so I think a lot of, a lot of errors and a lot of drama and a, and a lot of hurt people, um, walked away from, um, a leader that didn't have a clear vision. Mm-hmm. So for, for you, uh, you know, you said it was something that you, you had to learn along the way. Was there like a clear moment? You're like, all right, it's time to set, you know, some vision here. Or was it like slowly that culture kind of popped up and you're like, okay, I think I'm starting to see this is the culture of what we're going to do and what we're not going to do. Or was it like, all right, I'm going to have to go away for a few days and, and kind of figure out what the Lord is wanting the vision to be. Cause I know some people hear that and they're like, okay, I want to have, I want to be somebody who has vision and I want to make sure I'm leading people. I know where I'm leading them. We're not just wandering in aimlessly. Like we have a purpose here. Right. But they, they're kind of wondering, how do I, how do I do that for you? As you were kind of navigating that, what did that process look like? As you were like trying to figure out the vision for, you know, the worship uh, ministry at the Austin stone. Yeah. So much about vision is looking at your current reality and going, what, what does this feel like? What, what is the vibe here? Um, what are people's attitudes and posture like? And so I started to realize in those early years that I wasn't setting vision. And when there's no vision set, you know, uh, it's just kind of all over the map. Um, and so I started to notice that there was a kind of a spirit of competition between musicians and artists that were volunteering. I noticed that there was a, a sense of um, laziness and, um, and apathy. There was some entitlement of I've been playing drums for 10 years. Why can't I be you? So I just started to sniff out like, oh, that's a part of culture that I don't want this to be. I want it to be a place where artists aren't using the church to um, glorify their gifts, but they're using their gifts to glorify Jesus and elevate the church that he loves so much, you know? And so it was sniffing it out, seeing things I didn't like 
and going, okay, here's the vision is we're going to be a people that are fully engaged with Jesus and with the people in this church. We are going to choose camaraderie over comparison. We're going to choose servanthood over stardom. It was some of those like little one sentence statements that helped me and our people go, oh, that's what we're aiming for. Those mm-hmm. are the kinds of people that we want to be. And, you know, I think vision like really practically is, is set like this. It's getting away um, or surrounding yourself with fellow leaders in that team or ministry that you're leading and getting, getting good input, input from them. Like, what do you want this to be? What do you want to feel like? What do you want Sundays to feel like? You know, getting good input and then getting away and going, where do I want us to go? I think that's where vision starts is where do I want us to go? And then I think the second question you ask is what is our current reality right now? So we mm-hmm. want to be vibrant and passionate and uh, hearts of service and um, super creative place that creative people want to flock to. Well, right now, everybody's apathetic. There's bad attitudes. <laughs> um, nobody's practicing and uh, it's not what I want. Current reality. Mm-hmm. And then the third step is thinking about the steps that you can make to get towards that future reality. What are the one or two things that we can do this month to get us there? You know, and so real practically, it was like, okay, the green room is no longer uh, for anything but preparation. If you are preparing for the Sunday morning, if you are praying in there, you are preparing. That's all the green room is for. It's not for hanging. It's not to drink coffee and talk to the other band members or musician. That you're supposed to be out in the hallway, ministering to people, mm-hmm. engaging with people. And that was one small step. Yep. that helped to get us towards the, the future reality. And then the fourth question you ask is, will you join me in this vision of where we're going? Like, will you make a personal commitment to help get us there? Because this church is so important and Jesus loves it. And the people in this city deserve to have a beautiful, vibrant church filled up with leaders that are so passionate about Jesus and getting them to know Jesus. So will you join me in this? You know, that's where vision comes from. So there's some practicality of it. Uh, but then there's also just the getting away and going, who do I want us to become? Hmm. That's so helpful. And, you know, on our team at Lifeway Leadership, uh, our director, Todd Atkins, he uses the phrase poetry and plumbing. Like you can have this beautiful vision statement, but there's got to be plumbing that actually makes it happen. And I think so many times we stop with the poetry so we can say, this is who we want to become, but we never look at the current reality and actually lay the plumbing to get to where you want to go. And what you just laid out there is so practical and just say, you know, you actually, what is each month? What is one to two things that you can do? It's not just, you can't just keep saying it. You got to do some things to, to yeah. change the reality. So it's absolutely so helpful. We, we literally did that this week. You know, like a lot of churches right now, it's in this weird transition. Some people are coming, some people are not. And a lot of people have moved to Austin and are brand new. Austin's become this place where a ton of creative people are flocking here. Mm-hmm. And so literally this week, um, I gathered with a couple of leaders and I said, one thing I want us to do this Sunday, I want you to find in every service, one person that seems to be on the fringes or standing alone. And I want you to initiate a conversation with them. You go towards them, introduce yourself, find out a little bit about their story. Tell them that you're glad you're here at this, uh, at this church gathering, right? That seems so small and so no brainer, but that's helping us get to the future reality of, I want this place to feel like a family. I want Mm -hmm. creatives to be connected when they're so lonely and isolated. Usually those little small things stack up over years and years and years. Mm -hmm. 
That's so good, Aaron. Well, hey, before we get to the next question, let's take a moment and hear from our sponsor. Jesus's final charge to his disciples was to go and make disciples of all nations. And yet, many Christians today struggle to understand what this means for them. And many churches find it difficult to equip the saints for the work of the ministry. For the past 15 years, our friends at Downline Ministries have partnered with local churches by equipping men and women to know God's word and make disciples in the context of their homes, their churches, and their communities. They do this through the Downline Institute, a nine-month training program where students are taught Genesis through Revelation, biblical manhood and womanhood, and practical discipleship training. If you long for a greater knowledge of God's word, a clear vision for making disciples, and the strengthening of biblical discipleship in your church, check out the Downline Institute's in-person and virtual training options. Downline is offering our listeners $100 off of the tuition cost. Just use the code LIFEWAY when you apply at downlineministries.com. Uh, so Aaron, you talked about uh, a lot about vision um, and then, which is kind of leadership talk. Uh, and then you're also kind of a creative, which is sometimes honestly is hard to, to make the transition between the two, uh, but you're doing it. I wonder what book do you wish uh, somebody gave you when you were just starting to lead? Um, at, at any level, you talked about leading in the band, leading in the church, but when you first became kind of responsible for, like you said, other humans, <laughs> you know, uh, is there a resource that you wish you had in your hand to help you, uh, help prepare you for that? Oh gosh, so many men. Um, it's hard to narrow it down to one. I think one that was transformative for me that I have every person that I disciple go through is a book called Wasting Time with God. Mm. Um, and I read it when I first became a believer in college and I reread it often. And the whole concept is about, um, being slow enough in your life that you're actually wasting time with God and with people like where relationships really happen, where they, where they go deep is when you find yourself around a fire pit for a couple of hours, just talking about big things, heavy things, meaningless things, the relationship goes deeper, you know? And so many times we think it's, uh, you know, ministry can be so fast paced. Leadership can be so fast paced, whether you're in mainstream leadership or if you're in, um, church leadership, it can become so fast paced that we forget to waste time with God. Um, I have an hour of my schedule. It's a little blue bubble on my iCal that is just wasted time with God. No meetings get put in that bucket, none. But every day it's a time for reading the word, being in prayer, um, ideating, like what God, what do you, what do you want to stir up in me? It's mm -hmm. a lot of people would go, man, you could use that hour and be way more productive. You could produce a lot more if you had that hour back, but wasting time with God, man, is critical. And then it talks about wasting time with people. And we kind of incorporated that into our team gatherings. And so for every creative team uh, staff meeting, we have about 30 minutes that is called wasted time. And there's no agenda. There's, a, there's breakfast tacos and there's coffee and it's just hang and waste time with each other. When we do our monthly um, gatherings for volunteers, um, so it's all the volunteers that serve with creative ministry um, meeting in one place. It's usually about 300 people, which can feel really like, how can I get to know anybody when there's 300 people here? But we have 30 minutes of wasted time where there's chips and salsa and Topo Chico, and there's nothing on the agenda for 30 minutes except being with each other. That so so I, awesome. I, I wish somebody would have given me 
that book through the, it's so Austin, yeah, it is, uh, through the lens of being a leader. You know, like I said, I read it in college, but it just went over my head. I wish somebody would have said, this is an important book. Do this. Mm-hmm. Dude, that, that, and I'm sure, man, that, that has a lot of gains and leadership, especially in an area like, it is a lot of people flocking to Austin. It's a lot of creative yeah. people, a lot of people doing a lot of stuff. Yep. That wasted time culture, I'm sure, helps people feel loved. And absolutely, and they're not just robots, uh, you know, uh, that you're just trying to get productivity out of, but they're actual people. So that's gold, man. Yeah, man. It's it's saying to your people, um, we, we don't need you, but we want you. There's a mm. big difference. Mm-hmm. So many yeah. times in in leading creative people, there's a sense of like, we, we need you. We need what you produce. We need what you play because you're the best at it. But mm-hmm. truly, man, I, I want to be, be friends with people and seen by people that want me. Whether I write a song that's good or really crappy, I, I want to be, be wanted. And if you can build a community around, we don't need you, but we really want you, um, then it, it fosters that, that sense of, oh, I want to be in on this. Mm-hmm. You know, uh, I'm going to kind of throw a little bit of a different question at you, but we, you're talking about leading 300 uh, volunteers and leaders on a creative team. You yourself are a creative. You work with creatives all the time. And I know that we have creatives listening to this as well. And, and there are times where, I mean, it is true, like leading someone creative is different than leading somebody who is not creative. And, and, you know, I've experienced that. I know that you've probably felt that from leadership. You're like, you just don't know how kind of we work, that we work a little bit differently than others. Right. For you, if you could give, you know, you had a young leader and you guys do, you, you know, through your residency program, if you could share with them, you know, just two to three tips to grow in their creativity and as a leader, just as Mike said, sometimes those things don't always mesh well together. Mm. How, what advice would you share? You know, two to three practical things for a young creative who wants to grow in their leadership. Yeah. Uh, first thing would be, um, to have a posture of always wanting to grow. Um, you know, some of the best musicians that I know are not content with how excellent they are as a musician. There's a fierceness in them wanting to become better and better, right? And I think creatives do a good job of the creative part, but I also want creatives to want to get better in terms of leadership, you know, to take um, classes on theology, to go through a course of how do you lead people really well, to hop online and and, and watch videos of, um, you know, good resources of how to grow in communication and how to grow in setting vision and those kind of things. So I'm looking for somebody that has a heart that wants to grow, that is never okay with being stagnant. You know, I think second tip would be um, surround yourself with people that are going to um, push you forward and are going to have a spirit of optimism. Um, It's really easy for creatives to lean towards pessimism. You know, we see the world through a lens and we see what it should be a lot of times, but having a hopeful, optimistic attitude and surrounding yourself with people like that helps you grow as a leader because you fall in love with people and it helps you as a creative because you're seeing the world uh, through the lens of hope and not, not despair, you know? So my favorite people in the world to be around uh, are the people that are hopeful, that see hope. They see good things on the horizon, not oblivious to the bad things, but have a spirit of optimism. And then I think the third thing would be, um, you know, to, to, to really grow, I think means, um, you taking a a step towards being mentored. 
Um, I think mentorship is kind of a lost art in our culture, you know, but sometimes we have to go out and ask somebody, Hey, would you meet with me for six weeks and grow me in this area that I really lack right now of of just really wanting to have a mentor. Um, I love mentoring. I try to mentor someone for two years um, and then hopefully launch them in, but I'm also in a way mentoring a lot of 20 year olds in my life. That's not formal. You know, in in some ways, I find myself as the 40 year old uh, at a church that's primarily 20 year olds. And I love that space. I love it. So I want to be a a mentor to them because I know that they want it and need it. So I think seeking out development and mentorship and surrounding yourself with people um, that can push you forward, not push you downward are pretty, pretty important. Do you do you uh, encourage mentorship for life in general or mentorship for like a particular skill set or, or both? Yeah, I think both. I think there's a formal mentorship and then there's an informal mentorship. You know, I think seeking out the formal mentorship is, is crucial. You know, there are um, several online courses, right. That you can take or whatever, but having a human being that can walk you through a season for a set amount of time, right. Not unending, but like mm. one year, three months, six weeks, whatever is really helpful. And then having informal mentors. Um, There are 20 year olds that are in our house all the time and they wouldn't say Aaron is my mentor, but they're seeing how our family works. They're seeing uh, fails and wins in parenting. They're seeing what a marriage looks like on a daily kind of basis. And they're being, they're being food, man. And they're eating all the food, man. (laughs) So yeah, formal and informal, just seeking it out. Like, like I want to be a sponge, like, I have a, a guy who's like 55. He's already launched his kids into the world through college or that kind of stuff. I want to be a sponge when I'm around that man. Like, how did you do that? You did it well. Teach me. But it's not formal. You know, it's just being a learner. Mm-hmm. That's really helpful. Well, let's move to the quick hitter questions here. And these are just going to be short and one minute answers. And we'll get started with this one. What is your ideal daily routine? So what time do you wake up, get into the office, all that good stuff? Yeah. Um, I, my kids wake up super early. So sometimes I'll wake up with them. Usually not because they're teenagers now and they just do their own thing. So <laughs> I wake up about eight fifteen. I make uh, coffee. I'm sitting at my desk by nine o'clock and nine to 10 is my wasted time um, with God hour. And then I move on to uh, whatever else that day happens to have for me. Now, I know when we interviewed your wife, Jamie, she talked about a little bit about her little tiny home on your all's property. And she mentioned that you also had like your space, which I'm guessing you're sitting in now, your studio. Um, is that, is that on your all's property as well? Like you just walk to the office? Yes. We walk to the office. Um, the Austin stone worship studio is also on our property. So that's where all of the albums and songwriting and stuff happens. Um, and then the tiny home that Jamie was talking about, she left the tiny home and went and got like an office complex um, in town for her staff and all that kind of stuff. So I, I took the tiny home. So the tiny <laughs> home is my office. I am here um, on Thursdays and Fridays. And then I'm at the church office Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Wednesday. Nice. That's awesome. Yeah. Uh, Aaron, what's your favorite personality test? My favorite personality test is uh, Enneagram. I love the Enneagram. Um, I think it's been helpful um, to understand people and understand myself. Uh, it was pretty eye-opening when I found out, okay, I'm an Enneagram three and my wife is an Enneagram six. And so it was good to go, okay, well, there's why conflict shows up or <laughs> here's some things I need to not do 
as an Enneagram three with the Enneagram six wife. So I think it's been helpful. It's like a tool, you know, I don't think it defines you um, or uh, tells you who you can never ever be other than yeah. who you are right now, but it's been helpful. You're In your three, own- three worship leader leading a creative department. Right. You're like a unicorn. Like you <laughs> actually like really get things done. And, yeah, <laughs> yeah it, it works somehow. And I, I noticed, yeah. um, a couple months ago, I noticed that my most of my closest friends in life, I just think this is interesting. I don't have a point, just interesting. Most of my closest friends in life are all Enneagram nines. Hmm. All of we them. We can be friends, bro. I'm a nine. <laughs> See? <laughs> yeah. Come on. We don't make waves, man. We just no, we just, man. We, you're we just, go along to get along. We're just <laughs> chill. We're just chill. And I think an yeah. Enneagram three needs that. Yeah. <laughs> That's awesome. What is an unusual habit that helps you in your leadership? An unusual habit that helps me in my leadership. Um, I don't know that it's unusual, but um, being alone in nature is a habit that I try to uh, like take seriously. So I have rhythms of once a year doing an extended trip in nature um, with a solitude buddy. And a solitude buddy is somebody that's an Enneagram nine that doesn't talk but it's chill, right? <laughs> Mike, Mike's coming on this next uh, yeah, yeah, trip yeah, with yeah, you. Mike, but you, you take a solitude buddy because uh, that way you don't send like a big dog if you're by yourself in nature, you know, somewhere else alone. Mm-hmm. Um, and then I have a, a weekly um, Sabbath day that I'm usually like taking a walk. I'll just spend time like in nature and then a daily rhythm of that too. So I think it's unusual because it doesn't seem like it has anything to do with leadership. But for me, it helps me unplug um, from being on or feeling like I have to produce something or accomplish something and realize I'm really small and mm-hmm. God doesn't need me to accomplish any of this stuff, but he wants me. And so I'm just going to be alone and still and quiet with him. Mm-hmm. What's your favorite app on your phone? My favorite app on my phone. Um, I mean, this sounds real nerdy. This is what an Enneagram three would say. I realized as I was thinking about it, I was like, that's the nerdiest thing. Slack. Slack. <laughs> <laughs> Slack is how we communicate with all of our team. And uh, yeah, it's just been super helpful. It's the one I go to the most. Mm. Um, but I, I, I don't have a lot of apps on my phone, honestly. Uh, I, a couple years ago, went through and just weeded everything out. So I don't have any games. I don't have any social media on my phone. Um, it's just used for communicating with people. That's it. So like a phone, right? Yeah, like a yeah. phone. Like a whole school phone. Yeah. <laughs> People That's under awesome. like 25 are like, what? What? <laughs> right. what? You don't use your phone for all these other things? I really don't, yeah. man. It's been nice to kind of take that out of my life, yeah. you know? Mm. Yeah. What has been the best book that you've read in the past six months? Uh, Gentle and Lowly by Dane Ortland. Mm-hmm. Um, I would say it's one of the best books I've read in the last 10 years. Wow. Uh, it was just so helpful in understanding what the heart of Jesus is like. Um, it's on my, my, my top of recommendations for people to read. Have you guys read it? No, man. I literally have it sitting right here. I do as well. <laughs> I've been wanting to read it. People, so many people say that that book is the best book they read this year and, yep. and one of their favorite books in life. Yep. Mm-hmm. I, I'm yeah. right there. It is mm-hmm. unbelievably beautiful and rich and it just made me love Jesus more. Mm. All right. I'm going to pick it up, man. Uh, hey, what one sentence advice would you give someone going in a leadership position for the first time? For the first time. Um, 
how long can the sentence be? Can it be a run-on sentence? <laughs> it's like a Pauline <laughs> sentence. You can. Like, you <laughs> yeah, do. yeah. Okay, okay. I think it would be. Um, you don't have to have it all together to be a great leader, but surround yourself with people that'll help you grow. Mm-hmm. That's good. That's awesome. Yeah. Well, Aaron, thanks so much for joining us on the podcast today and sharing about your leadership journey. And thank you for listening. We hope this has been helpful to you and your leadership. If it has, head on over to iTunes and leave us a rating and review to help other young leaders like yourself find the podcast. And we'll see you next week.